I know Jeff already put the invitation out, but I would put the same invitation out for our Synergy Worship Night on Wednesday night, time of praise and worship and prayer and hearing from the Lord and seeking His face together in a little different environment. It's still in the same building, but um, won't be a sermon that night. So there will be a little different way of going about that. So I encourage you to come. Um, and if you're a little bit nervous about what that might be, come and see. Come and see. You're never going to be able to make a judgment of whether it's something that, that God will use in your life if you don't come and give it a shot. So I encourage you to give that consideration. Uh, the other announcement that I want to make to you this morning too, and, and um, on Tuesday, June 1st, we have a congregational meeting here at 7 o'clock. Tuesday, June 1st at 7 o'clock. Purpose of that meeting, if you remember when we went through and were processing and working through adding um, elders and Jeff as an associate pastor, um, one of the questions that came up in discussion a little bit in that was about salary package and financing for Jeff and Sarah coming on in that role because it's a paid position. And we were not prepared at that time because we hadn't finalized any decisions in that sense as far as even bringing them on. But now if that's done, the board has been in discussion about that and we have things to share with the congregation to process together um, about salary package and compensation for them in that position. So that will be the content of that meeting on Tuesday, June 1st at 7 o'clock here. So we would uh, welcome you to come to that and hear uh, the presentation on that and be able to answer, ask questions and get feedback and that kind of thing. So that'll be Tuesday, June 1st, all right? <clears throat> uh, I want to start out, uh, the other thing going on too is we've been kind of in a series of messages that started out with the greatest command, went to the greatest com great commission. It, we've been wrapping in that too, these uh, messages of along the way. Um, I've got one this morning that's in the same vein, but a little different part of the package in that too. It's not along the way, and it's not um, the specifically about the Great Commission, but it has some tools that God's given us in that. The other thing is I will put a little uh, uh, shout over the bow or a tickler out there coming up. Uh, Jeff and I have had very brief conversations about some, another series coming up or another series of messages, whether it'll all be in one block time or scattered throughout that'll deal with a little bit more maybe some of the things that we believe as Christians and being able to uh, really grab scripture about what we believe, why we believe it, and then um, hopefully that helps us be a little more articulate when we talk to people. Um, like I said, we're in formative stages of talking about that, and then I don't know exactly what all Jeff has planned next week, but he'll be preaching next Sunday, so he'll be in the pulpit next week, so you can be praying for him as he preps this week. So on today, I want to take us to a scripture to start with. Uh, this is from Ephesians chapter 4, and it says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Okay, That's a very popular passage, Ephesians chapter 4. The New King James uses this phrase, that he does all those things, he gives those, those people gifts and abilities in those areas, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. Um, I want to tell you this this morning, for anybody listening, um, that God really wants you to be equipped and prepared to do the work of ministry. God never intended you just to come to Christ and get your ticket to heaven. And he, that's part of coming to Christ, is that idea of being able to receive salvation and eternal life. But that's not the only thing that he had in mind. He fully intended that any of his followers would actually be involved in the work of the ministry to people around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And anything that God asks us to do or encourages us to do or challenges us to do, he also equips us to do. And so, one of the main jobs that I have is the call to be a pastor. And with that, I believe that God has given me a gifts and ability to be able to teach specifically the Word of God. And the reason that he did that was not just so that I could have this position, it was to equip and to teach and to train people like you to be able to do the work of ministry. Um, to illustrate, explain, model, all those things, the things that we all need to be able to do the work of ministry. And so, 
we've focused a ton of time recently on the idea of, excuse me, my computer's doing weird things, uh, which makes me nervous, but um, we spent a lot of time in the last, almost, it's been five months now, talking about the call to ministry and what God has called us to do, what he's called us to be, to love him with all our heart, to love like he does, to actually go out and reach people for Christ. And we do all those things. <clears throat> and today we're going to add, and I've been thinking about this for a while, I'm going to add some of the equipment to the picture. Talked a lot about doing it, talked a lot about the call, but really haven't talked too much about the plan of how God intends us to do that, what he gives us to do that. So now as a way of illustration, I want to say this, that uh, um, it's, it's lawnmower season in northern New York. Actually, as it's been dry recently, it's been dandelion season. Dan, not dandelion yellow, but dandelion white season. And um, I was talking to somebody recently, he said, do you realize how many times I've mowed my lawn this week? I can't stand dandelions. And it's been like, because they seem, and then uh, Jim Elliott, who used to attend church here, he told me this week when I saw him once, he says, you know, I said, I think that uh, the dandelions in my yard have ears. I'm like, what the world is he talking about? He says, as soon as the lawnmower turns on, I think that they just duck. And then as soon as the lawnmower goes off, they pop back up again. But it's lawnmower season. And we all know this, that you need to take your lawnmower and put gasoline in it, and unless you have an electric one, which we won't talk about the electric lawnmowers because it doesn't fit the illustration, but you put gasoline in your lawnmower and it works well. But did you know that you can take a small gas engine like the one on your lawnmower and you can fill the tank with WD-40, and it'll run. You can actually fill your, take a, take a regular old push lawnmower, and you can, you can empty the gas out of it, and you can pour WD-40 in the tank, and you can turn that thing over, and you can make it run. It actually does work. I watched a video of it this week. Um, it'll run, however, it'll spit and sputter, it'll smoke an awful lot, It'll have a tremendous lack of power. It's not very efficient, which makes WD-40 is really not an ideal fuel source for your lawnmower. Okay? I want to say this, that the Holy Spirit is the right fuel source, the correct fuel source, to enable you and I to do the work of ministry, which in this case is the right fuel source to enable us to be able to effectively make disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. You can try other fuel sources if you want to. Things like using your own wisdom. Things that you reason through would be a great idea. You can even rely on your own physical energy. You can use your own creative ideas. You can look at entertaining and all those other things as ways to bring people to Christ and to help them grow. And the list will go on and on. And it's not that those things won't work. But we need to get a better definition of work. You might see results by doing it your way. And using your strength and your wisdom and your reasoning and your strategies. But it's going to be just like that lawnmower on WD-40. There'll be a lot of smoke and a lot of noise but not much action, not much lasting action, not much long-lasting effect. Why? Because those things that we do on our own strength, our own reasoning, our own logic, our own strategies, our own strength, they just don't provide the supernatural power that's necessary for a person to come to Christ and then also grow in Christ. They're not very efficient, to be honest with you. Our best laid plans, our own ideas, our own strategies are not very efficient and they don't really do all that well at, at, at accomplishing the work of the ministry. As a follower of Jesus Christ, there was a, a spirit, your, your eternal soul was placed in you and that eternal soul that God placed in you that's in the image of God makes you a spiritual being and that spiritual being was meant to have a direct connection ongoing with the Holy Spirit. And if you don't feed into that, if you don't fuel your soul 
with the presence of the Holy Spirit in His ministry, you will not have the efficiency, spiritually speaking, that God intended you to have. Anything other than the Holy Spirit in your soul, in your in, inside of you as you work, is, is a cheap, ineffective alternative. That not only will it not be effective, it can actually lead to lasting damage in you as a follower of Christ and actually those that you are trying to bring to Christ and trying to grow. In other words, if you rely on your own strength, your own ability, your own skill, it's going to hurt you, spiritually speaking, and it can have a lasting, damaging spiritual effect on the people you're trying to reach. The very thing that you're trying to do and gearing yourself all up to do, you might actually be running counterproductive to what the Spirit of God wants to do in that person, how He wants to accomplish it, because we're not wise enough. So, I want to take a look now as we kind of lay that out there, and now we'll develop it a bit more. Let's take a look at some of Jesus' instructions. Okay, the instructions I'm going to share with you in just a minute are all based around when he actually shared the, what we call the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and make disciples. Around those times when he preached those messages or spoke that message, there's some other things he said. Okay, And the first one comes in Luke 24. This is Luke recording in his way the same thing that Matthew records, but Luke comes at it with a slightly different perspective, but he's talking about the same thing. The same time Jesus said this. And, and it says this, that Jesus, it says, then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. In other words, He opened their minds so that they could actually see and understand what they had read about and, and been taught as children as far as Scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Like I said, the context here is this is the time when Jesus actually told His disciples, I want you to go and make disciples. Luke doesn't actually use that phraseology, but it's the same message. And he pulls out some different things that Jesus said, where it says he opened their minds to understand from Scripture that the Messiah truly did need to come and die and rise again. And as a result of that fact that, the whole, that, that people would go to the ends of the world and make disciples and tell people of Christ. In, in this, he predicts his death and resurrection, Jesus does. He told them specifically, you are going to go and tell people about this and make disciples of Christ. And then he also told us something interesting. He said, I'm also going to see to it that you receive that which the Father promised you, the promised Holy Spirit. I'm going to go back to the Father and He will send that promise to you. And then he goes on to say this too. And he also told them that they were to wait to go and tell. This is weird because... Bottom line, we've been talking extensively, 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 extensively to go and tell, to go and tell that responsibility. And Jesus told them to go and tell, but right off the heels of the saying, they says, but you need to wait. You need to wait to go and tell until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, why would he do that? Why would Jesus tell them to wait when he's just given them this compelling mission to go and tell? Why would he... Why would he do that? Let's take a look at another passage, Acts chapter 1, similar. Again, Luke wrote the book of Luke, the Gospels, but then Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So a good read sometimes is read all the way through Luke, skip John, and go right into Acts. It's the same writer. It's the same narrative. It is. It's just just, this continuous ongoing because Luke told the story of Jesus from what he researched and found to be true, then he went on to record the life of the early church and what happened as people came to Christ. And in Acts chapter 1, at the very beginning, he says this, on one occasion while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have been, heard me speak. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is not a separate thought. It's not a different thing. It's just he didn't write Luke and then continue right into Acts. He wrote Luke, 
Then as he observed things going on through the book of Acts, he recorded and wrote those things out. And so what he's basically doing is saying the same thing here in Acts chapter 1 as he said in the book, and when he wrote down in Luke, he just uses a little different phraseology in it. And he's saying again there, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on. He says, don't leave Jerusalem until the gift comes. Again, we see this command to wait until the empowerment came. And that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. That, that what He was telling them, which they didn't understand at the time, that, but, but Jesus was telling them what's actually going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to not only just come upon you externally, He's going to enter into you and dwell within you. And what that's going to do, amongst all kinds of other things, which will be another message to talk about some of these other things, but specifically talking today as far as this go, the Spirit indwelling them was going to enable them and empower them to actually to be able to go and tell others about Christ. And it was a result of that empowerment that enabled them to go and proclaim the facts boldly about who Jesus was. Um, giving people the information regarding what it looked like to walk with God through faith in Christ, which is a brand new concept at the time. I'm convinced of this. Jesus would not have told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them if it wasn't vitally important. Let me give you a couple reasons why. Jesus also said this in His ministry. He said, don't look for the harvest to come later. He says, the fields are ripe unto harvest right now. And if you read that story, when he says that, there's a sense of urgency in Jesus that stop putting this off for some time in the future. There are people right now that are ready to come to me, that are ready to walk in relationship with God, that if we don't get them, the key thing is if you don't harvest grain at the right time, when it becomes overripe, it spoils or it'll fall off and rot in the ground. And Jesus was saying, there are souls that are ripe under harvest right now, but yet, then he tells them to wait. The only reason he would say to wait is there was something essential in what he was telling them to wait for, which is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Why would, why would God, through his son Jesus, tell them to wait? This is the same God that says, I'm not willing for anyone to perish. And if you want to run this through our human reasoning, which is actually a dangerous thing, in that waiting for the Holy Spirit, the possibility is that somebody could die separated from Christ who had never had a chance to hear. But yet God had told Jesus that's what you're supposed to tell them is to wait until the Spirit comes across them. That would not have occurred if, they were, if there was something about the coming of the Spirit that would absolutely revolutionize and make it possible for them. You can even make this argument. It was not possible for them to do it effectively without the Spirit coming. <clears throat> And then use this one here as a final reason. Why would a God, a Heavenly Father, who desperately longs for relationship with those He created, which is all people, why would He, do, why would he then tell other people to wait to introduce people to follow Him? Why would He do that? Why would He tell them to wait? Unless, again, there's something vitally important about the coming of the Spirit and what that was going to be. Now I'm going to give you two examples this morning. The book of Acts is full of them. And actually, because Acts is a narrative book, it tells a story compared to the other books in the New Testament outside of the, the Gospels. When you get after Acts and you get into Romans and Corinthians and all the others that go forward, they're actually letters. There might be some narrative, but not much. It's more instruction. But the book of Acts is just a full narrative of what happened from the time that Jesus rises again for several years. The happenings of how, what God does in the midst of that. Now in that, like I said, it's packed with examples that you have to, but you have to read it with that in the back of your mind that you're looking for the examples that do that because usually it's a phrase that's stuck in somewhere. Many of these things are just a passing phrase that says the Spirit came upon them and then... It's not like it's gonna, it's not the central part of the story. The story will tell the happening, but you easily can miss the phrase that occurs at the beginning of it says, they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. Okay? I want to give you two that are probably a little bit more prominent and a little bit bigger. The first one is the, is the biggest one, which is Pentecost. 
in Acts 2, chapters 1 through 13. I'm not going to read that. You can read that on your own this morning or at a later time if you want to this week to get that, but I'm going to kind of uh, pull out the key things that occurred. You can check it later on and get all the other details. But, um, so what actually happens here is um, we find out right in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, um, we're told that they, it says this phrase was used, they were all together in one place. Who is the they? The they it was speaking of there is the disciples, the followers of Christ. It would have definitely at least included the, at this time, the 11, because Judas has, has killed himself. But there were likely more than just the 11. Because there, there were the 12 disciples. Judas dies, now there's 11. But there were many others that were just as devout of followers as the, as, as the 11 were. Okay, So the they most likely includes the 11 that still survived that actually ministered with Jesus, but also the other devout followers. And it says they were all in one place together. What were they doing? They were being obedient to Jesus. They were waiting, very specifically, waiting in obedience as Jesus had told them. They didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus just told them, you need to wait in Jerusalem until this happens and then you can go. So they're kind of waiting, but knowing that Jesus, the waiting, Jesus told them what to wait for, but they're probably asking the question, well, how, how are we going to know when it happens? How will I know? I'm sure that, that was the case, because that's, that's what we would have done. You sit there, and you're probably maybe even praying for it, but has it happened yet? Anybody feel anything? I'm not sure they didn't feel anything, because we say that right now, because we have the examples. This is all brand new. They didn't know. And while they're waiting, something suddenly happens in their midst. And after this happens, there's no doubt in their mind that something happened and that this is what we were waiting for. The Bible tells us that there was suddenly a sound like that of, of, of the blowing of a violent wind. I'm not sure there was a wind, but there was the sound of a mighty blowing wind. And the Bible also tells us that their perception was when that sound came in that that wind had come from heaven itself. That it was not the wind blowing through the window. There was something about that occurrence that it was not normal. This wind occurred, but it wasn't windy outside. And they perceived that the wind had come from heaven, and it says that it filled the house where they were sitting. So this wind rushes in, fills in, but outside, not, that's not necessarily happening. Okay? Then, if that wasn't enough, we get this idea of tongues of fire. In verse 3 it says, as this is occurring, they also see with, I'm assuming their eyes, doesn't really matter, they all saw the same thing, what appeared to be, or what seemed to be, tongues of fire that separated. I don't know if the rushing wind, a, a fire came down, and then it, it separated and came to rest on each of them in the room. Every one of them. And they saw this. Okay? And the Bible tells us as that's occurred, probably for our benefit, because they experienced it and knew it already, but for our benefit it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible goes on and tells us, and they all began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them to do so. Now, this idea of speaking in tongues for a second, let me just go through. What I'm not going to do this morning is take you into this great long narrative teaching on the spirit and take the I'm not going to do that. Let's let the narrative tell us what it means. And I would challenge anyone today, lay aside for just a second if you can, all of your preconceived notions about speaking in tongues. I beg you to do that. Lay it aside for a second. Let the narrative say exactly what it says. And don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Just let it speak. Because it goes on and says this, there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Let me explain that for a second. It's Pentecost. And do you realize at the time, Pentecost was not the day that the Holy Spirit fell. We have termed it that. Pentecost was actually a Hebrew feast. One of the Hebrew feasts. One of the Jewish feasts. And what happened is many people from all over the, I wouldn't call the, let's call the Roman Empire, basically speaking, would, 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 would come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. 
So there were people from several nations throughout the Roman Empire who had shown up. They were all, and you say, well, there were foreigners there. Foreigners, yes, maybe from a different land, but they were all Jewish. Because if you were a pagan, you wouldn't come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost because the Feast of Pentecost was for Jews. So the, the crowds that's there is this, this, this throng of Jewish people from all over the Roman Empire. And maybe even beyond the Roman Empire, I don't know. I'm just simply, I would say the civilized world, but there was a civilization that occurred in China, but I'm not sure there were anybody from China had come to the Feast of Pentecost. It seems to be around the Mediterranean Sea. But many came and they made that pilgrimage. And the Bible tells us that these people from all these different nations that had showed up that day, when they started to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them, those people heard these men and women speaking in their own native language. Okay? You get that? It says very, very clearly, very directly in Scripture, they heard these people filled with the Spirit speaking in their own native language. That means you've got all these people who live in Jerusalem and live in Israel who speak Hebrew and maybe even know Greek because that was the language of the day, the common language. They spoke that, but then they started to hear them speaking whatever their tongue was, Ethiopian, and I don't know what all those languages, I'm going to kill myself if I can on that, but basically the native tongues and the native dialects from where they were from. So tongues, and ready, listen very carefully, the next phrase, tongues in this case. Like I said, I'm not making, this is not a treatise today on speaking tongues. It's not, not even close. In this case, in this case, the tongues were real foreign languages and dialects from the nations that were represented. They were unknown to those Jewish men and women who were filled with the Spirit. They did not know those languages. But in that moment, as the Spirit enabled them, they were enabled to speak in a language that they didn't know. Okay? Continue on. Like I said, this is not a treatise on tongues this morning. What is this on? This message is about the power of the Holy Spirit to enable people to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So, when they start speaking in tongues, they're speaking an intelligible language in this situation, an intelligible language that other people understood. And what was the message? Again, we don't have to guess because the Scripture tells us. In verse 11 it says, we hear these people declaring the wonders of God. Okay, let's back up for just a second. Not pagans. These are Jewish people that have come from all over who worship God. And all of a sudden now, they're hearing these people who have just been filled with the Spirit declaring the wonders of God. What was actually happening is the Spirit enabled them to speak in these foreign languages and what they spoke was telling the great and the wonderful works which God had done. Not just now, but throughout history. Just telling them about the wonderful things that God has done. Okay. And the interesting thing is, it says that, not only that, but we hear them saying this message in our own native tongue. Because the Spirit enabled them to be able to speak their native tongue. And the native message was, the, native, the thing that they heard and understood was that, 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 that the, the wonders and works of God. Okay. What were the results? It's important you look at this too. All these things in the narrative. Because if you'll read a narrative and break these things apart, it speaks. Some people made fun of them. Some of the onlookers that day made fun of them. Claiming that they'd had too much to drink. In other words, they've been partying. It's, it's a festival. It's a feast. And they had too much wine. And they're drunk. And that's why they're doing what they're doing. They're acting kind of strange. They're doing something I don't understand. And they just had too much to drink. But others were amazed. And they asked some very key questions. They were amazed. What does this mean? What's, what's going on here? 
God, for those that, that didn't write it off as they've had too much to drink, the other crowd that were amazed, God had gotten their attention. In other words, their curiosity is aroused that something different is going on here and there's an openness in their heart because of that to receive maybe what the explanation is. Another result, Peter, freshly filled with the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter, uses this whole thing as a bridge, if you will, which is a magnificent thing that the Spirit of, that's dwelling in him now takes that opportunity to take the attention that people have and are, are drawn to, and he takes the time now to address the large crowd and tell them about Jesus. He goes on and explains to them about Jesus. Not just his personal experience, but what, he, what the Scripture had said about Jesus in the Old Testament. Again, who is he talking to? Jews. What do the Jews know? They know a Messiah is coming. And so Peter is able to take that opportunity to explain, here's what's going on. Jesus, whom you crucified, was the Messiah, is the Messiah. He rose again. I saw it. He's probably using Scripture to explain all of that. And he goes on and says, and oh, by the way, these people have not had too much to drink. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Come on. This is an act of God. God's Spirit is at work. The ultimate result, if you want to know what that is, the Bible tells us on that day, 3,000 people gave their heart to Christ. Began their journey of being a disciple of Jesus Christ as a result of all these things. Let's take another scripture. Um, a prayer for power. Excuse the lack of change in scripture. I just realized that. That's If you're taking notes and you want to look later, it's Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. The context here, it's a little while after Pentecost. We don't know exactly how long, but it's not a long time. Peter and John have been doing, uh, since Pentecost, I think almost daily or regularly are going to the temple to worship, to pray, and they actually spend time in the public areas telling people and teaching about Jesus. Okay, crowds gather, people are drawn to the teaching, spirits working in people, working through Peter and John, and they get in trouble. The priests are threatened. Last week, maybe they have, maybe some of it's they're threatened because they're losing power. Maybe some of it is the same thing that we talked about with with Paul, Saul Paul last week. If you remember that message, if you haven't, you can listen to that one. That. They were very concerned about this new teaching because this Jesus, we don't even believe He is the Messiah. Now they're telling that we're supposed to worship Him and we're supposed to honor Him and that's, gonna, that's not good. And so they have this, this thing going on. So what they do is they have Peter and John arrested and thrown in jail. What did they get arrested for? What did they get thrown in jail for? For preaching about Jesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're released. You can read the narrative. It's a great story before that. They're released. And then it says when they're released, they go back to this gathering place. I don't know if it's the same house where the Pentecost doesn't say. They just go back to where the believers were gathered. And they explain to them everything that happened. How they were fortunate enough to suffer for the cause of Christ by being thrown into jail. How all these things happened. And it led to I'll put it in quotation because the Bible uses this, but kind of like a prayer meeting, if you will. And it says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. After they heard Paul and Peter and I mean Peter and John's explanation of what had happened and all this stuff there, they raised their voices together in prayer. They have a prayer meeting. They're together. And I was thinking about that. That's a lot what we're going to do Wednesday night. We're not just going to pray. We're going to praise, worship God, listen to the voice of the Lord, but we're also going to be praying as well. Some of it's going to be a person leading. Some of it's going to be you praying as an individual, but all those things there. But it's a, and that's the whole idea of synergy. You get a bigger result 
together than you do by yourself. And that's true of our prayers, our corporate gatherings, all those things there. God is able to do more through a group of us than He is to do through any one of us. Okay? So they, they, they raise their voices together in prayer. And what are they asking? They're ask, it's interesting what they ask. These are prayers that we don't pray anymore. We don't pray this way anymore. The general American Christian, the content of their prayer is, Oh Lord, help me with my difficult day today. Um, Lord, uh, help me on my job. Uh, um, and and there's just, it's all about me. There's listen the things that they prayed about here. They asked God to enable them to speak His words with great boldness, even if it got them into trouble. That was prayer request number one. Oh God, help us to speak Your truth boldly to other people. He's saying, well, they're praying about themselves. The motivation has nothing to do with them because the end result they realize is dangerous because they had two guys that just got thrown into jail and, and, and it doesn't take very much longer. And then Stephen ends up getting killed for the same thing. They're not praying a selfish prayer. They're praying an other-centered prayer. You've got to equip me so I can tell others boldly. They also ask God to stretch out His hand. Now, and perform miraculous signs and wonders through Jesus Christ. We pray those kinds of prayers, but very selfishly because we want to experience the miracle. That's not why they were praying it. They're praying and saying, God, not only will you enable us to speak boldly, but will you reach out your hand and will you perform miraculous signs and wonders and do things that people can't explain so that people will know that you're God and this is a real thing. Again, it wasn't for the miracles to occur to them. It was so that miracles would occur in those that are listening to what they're saying so that they'll come to Christ. What was the result? No sooner do they pray those prayers, it says the place where they were meeting was shaken. I can't explain what that means. But Luke who had done the research, don't know if he was there or not, doesn't really matter. He had researched and had talked to the people that were there. And they all said the same thing about that, that we prayed this prayer and the place shook. And then it says this in the Scriptures. The place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Some of you are going to say theologic. Wait, 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 wait. They already got filled with the Spirit. The Bible says they got filled with the Spirit. You know what? It's the same people. They were filled, I'll use this phrase, they were filled fresh and new. Does that mean the Spirit left them? Nope. The Spirit never left them. The Spirit came to dwell in them. As long as they could remain followers of Christ, the Spirit would never leave them. But in this situation, they prayed, the Spirit fills them fresh and new. And what do they do? Continues on, the narrative tells us, they went out and spoke the word boldly. God answered their prayer and they went out and spoke boldly. And in that idea of speaking boldly, does that mean that they spoke with an attitude? With their, you know, I got this. You got to listen to us? Nope. That boldly means they were able to freely speak all that they knew and understood of Jesus. Not freely because everybody around them supported what they were saying, but there was a freedom from fear and anxiety and worry to go out and speak all that was in their mind. Not their human mind. All that they knew and understood of who Jesus was and this Holy Spirit thing going on. They were freed from the, from the, from the wrappings of fear to go out and boldly declare those truths to people. And guess what the result was? We see tagged at the very end of this passage, it says, and the number of believers grew to 5,000. I'm not willing to say that 2,000 got saved that day because we don't know how many converted in between the 3,000 and the 5,000, but we're talking a significant number of people as a result of that prayer and the working of the Spirit through them brought other people to Christ. Now, those are all narratives. Now we need to get to stuff for you and I. Let's talk about some applications here. You and I are called as followers of Jesus to join Him in the work of His kingdom. What does that mean? You, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
and a disciple of Him. And the two are, you can't separate them. It's not just that you pray to prayer. Or that you just ask for forgiveness. There's much more to being a disciple of Jesus Christ than praying a simple prayer. It may start there where we commit our lives, we come to Him for forgiveness, but it comes to the spot there that we, we basic, and we talked about this in Sunday school, it's giving our whole life to God, letting Him call the shots, making Him the Lord, stopping holding on everything as if it's mine and recognizing that it's all His to begin with and offering it all back to Him to use as He sees fit. And what happens in that, He has called every follower to that life to give Him everything back and allow Him to use it. And He will always use it where? In His kingdom work. To love people, to care for them, to share the good news to them, to teach and to train them all that we have been taught and trained of what it means to follow Christ. All the things that the Great Commission says, the two things it says about go and make disciples and teach them all that I have told you. Another thing for you. We can't do this on our own strength. I'll say it again. We can't do this on our own strength. I think sometimes as Americans, we wonder why we don't get the results that we'd like to see because sometimes, too many times, we're doing it on our own strength. We have strategy sessions. We have planning sessions. Now, don't get me wrong. Planning and strategies under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are good. But strategy and planning that doesn't involve the leading of the Holy Spirit is not good. We can't do this on our own strength. We must, we absolutely must rely on the Holy Spirit and the power that comes through that. Just like Jesus told His disciples. Remember what He said, you need to wait until the Spirit falls on you and empowers you. So what should we do? What should we do? First off, you must start with this. Well, first off, you need to come to Christ. You need to recognize your need for forgiveness. You need to come to Him humbly for forgiveness. You need to make Him the Lord of your life. You need to put Him in charge. You need to die to self. You need to offer yourself to Him in the fullness of all that thing. And that means, when I say everything, everything in your life is given to Him to do as He see fits. Is that scary? Maybe. But you'll find one thing, that you never offer anything to Jesus. And if He decides to take that and use that, you instantaneously, as you walk through that, realize it was well worth it. The return is way better than holding on to it yourself. But you'll never experience that until you do it for yourself. Somebody can tell you, somebody can try to teach you about that, but until you actually lay it out there and walk that way, you'll never really know what it really, how it really feels and how wonderful it is to have God fully in control. So once we've come to Christ, it's very important that we also, very early on, right away, embrace the call to kingdom work. To embrace and own the call to make disciples. It is not just my job as the senior pastor to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You know what? It's all of our job. Actually, I don't even like to say that because all of our makes it sound like it's a corporate thing. It's your job as an individual to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The fortunate thing is as the body of Christ, we're stronger together than we are by ourselves in making disciples. You are better at things than I am that maybe... I can do something to get somebody here and then you can take over from there or you're better at getting a person to come into contact with me and I can do what God has gifted me to do. But the bottom line is we are all called and we must embrace and own the fact that God's called us to kingdom work to make disciples. We need to recognize this immediately. We need to recognize, we need to admit, and we need to embrace that we've got to have power from on high. That Holy Spirit enablement. Nobody has an education good enough to do this. There is no college, there's no training, there's no Bible school that has enough human training to make you good at this. 
They may make you think that you're good at this, but the bottom line is, barring without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, it will have limited effects at best. We've got to admit, recognize, and embrace that we must need the power. So much so that we're desperate for it. Desperate enough that we pray a prayer like Moses prayed. When Moses, God tells Moses, go. He says, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. Sounds pretty rash, doesn't it? That he'd stand up to the God that he's seen do all his miracles. He go, because Moses knew, if I go on my own strength, it's a, it's, it, we're finished. We can't do this by ourselves. We need you to go before us. We need you to come with us. And it's the same thing here. You and I can't get this done on our own. We need to refuse. Refuse to try to do kingdom work out of our own strength, our own wisdom, our own strategy, our own skills, our own abilities, and our own comfort level. You say, well, does that mean i got nothing to offer? If you've heard me preach and heard me talk to you at any length of time, God made you with a very specific plan in mind that you would live here now and He specifically gave you skills, abilities, and talents and gifts that He imparted you at conception, even planned before your conception. He put all of that in you because His desire and His plan was to use it to further His kingdom so you do kingdom work. So, don't go away from your thinking that you've got nothing to offer as far as your skills and abilities. What we need to learn to do, though, is not rely on those skills and abilities. Not rely on our wisdom and our training. But we rely first and foremost on the power of the Holy Spirit who then actually a lot of times uses those things. But He's the one that's got to call the shots and make that clear. Now I want to put this out there too. Because I was convicted a little bit as I was going through. Jesus told his disciples to wait. What does that mean for you and I? Well, uh, I think I'm going to say two things. First off, there was a unique waiting that they needed to go through because of the timeline of God's history. The Spirit, up until that point, what they experienced on Pentecost, what you and I have experienced automatically as followers of Christ, prior to Jesus' death, resurrection, and the day of Pentecost, did not happen before that. And so there was a reason they needed to wait because something new and entirely different was going to happen. And it's been happening ever since. So we don't have to wait for the same reason. Does that make any sense? Because as a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God has already indwelt you. That, that's already there. Our waiting would be this. Instead of going, yes, God, I'm called and running out to do that, is waiting long enough to say, God, I'm called and I, I know this is what you've got for me to do, but I need your Spirit's empowerment. And we spend time waiting before we leave for the day. And our waiting is not empty waiting. It's actually praying that same prayer that they prayed was, Lord, enable us by the power of Your Spirit to boldly speak the truth as we go about our day. And God, would You even possibly show Your hand by doing a miracle by the power of Your Spirit that would draw people to You? Basically, our waiting has more to do with the fact of not waiting because God is, I'm telling you, God is poised and ready like in the next second if you open yourself to Him and want that power for the right reason, not as a badge of honor so that you can effectively reach the people around you. He is poised and ready to just poof, bring it down. It's not something you have to jump through five hoops. You realize that I don't know why it was the day of Pentecost, but if you read one thing you'll get from the book of Acts, let the narrative speak to you. They prayed for enablement. And enablement came because the Bible tells us that if you pray according to my will, you'll have what you ask. And what is closer to the Father's will than being able to articulate and share the good news of Jesus Christ so people will walk in relationship with Him? He's dying. God, God is just is so poised and so anxious for these things to occur in us and through us because it's not about us. It's about the person that He's trying to reach. Why wait any longer? You don't need to wait another day 
for this empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because the same thing that Jesus said then is true today. The fields are ripened to harvest. I've said this numerous times. In, in, your, in your travel in the next 24 hours, you're going to come across maybe hundreds of people or lots of people, or what, even if it's only two people. What you don't know is some of them right now might be crying out in their own spirit desperately in need of answers. I'm not always saying they're crying out to God because they might not even know what that means because nobody's ever told them. In the United States, absolutely. There are so many people that don't know. And there are so many people that have had bad encounters with Christian people and what it means to follow Jesus because it's been misrepresented and abused and oh, just, it, they just got the wrong picture altogether. And what God wants to do is to set it straight. And He wants to use you to do it. The fields are ripe under harvest. And I want to remind you, if you've come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you meant what you said and you have been tracking it all and you have said, God, as hard as it is sometimes because I don't like to give up control, will you take control of my life? I lay it out before you. You've done those things. The Holy Spirit already dwells in you. And in that Holy Spirit is the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It doesn't get any better than that. And that dwells within you. You and I should be praying, like I said, the same prayer that the early church did. Lord, enable me to speak Your Word with boldness wherever I go today. Stretch out Your hands and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Jesus so that the whole world will know that You are a God in heaven. Recognize this too. That when you ask for these kinds of things with godly motives, not so that you're going to look good, or not so you can earn your way, but because your heart is the heart of God which wants to see people walk in relationship with Him, you can be guaranteed that that's a prayer that will be answered. Look at what this says here. Luke chapter 11. If you, speaking of human beings then, though you're evil, doesn't that make you feel good? Evil what? Well, I'm redeemed, yeah. But compared to God, I'm pretty evil. Even though He's redeemed me and made me better. But if you then though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father and will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Don't try to add anything more to these scriptures. Take it at face value. He's basically saying, if you love your children, you know that you'll do just about anything to give them good gifts. And He says, and you're, you're pretty bad in comparison to me, your Father's saying. He said, how much more is your Father in heaven when you ask Him for the Holy Spirit it's going to give you exactly what you ask for. The whole idea here is let's ask and not wonder if He's going to answer. Let's ask and expect that He's going to answer. Let's ask and believe that He's going to answer and that He's going to do something. Let's ask and have such expectation that we start looking for where he's going to move and how he's going to use me and what opportunities are going to be there. It's interesting. My wife just recently, I don't know what the content was, but it was, I don't know if it was out of one of our services or something else in a prayer. The idea of going and telling, being a little more bold than just simply telling somebody, I'll pray for you to just a slight change. Can I pray for you right now? And it's interesting, like, when that small delineation occurred, it was that same week. There were multiple opportunities that popped up where she was able to pray and had profound interaction with people at a spiritual level. So what changed? Did God change? No. Well, did the person's issue came? No, those issues had been along as she talked to the people. They'd been for a while. The change occurred in what? She asked. She opened herself in a new, fresh way to God, which we all need to do. I'm going to come back in the weeks to come, don't know exactly which week, and give you another message about the work of the Holy Spirit. There's several other passages where Jesus addresses it, talks about the ministry of the Spirit, and there's some really good things in that that are good for us as spiritual individuals, but also indicates when you talk about the, what the Scripture tells us, what Jesus taught us that the work of the Holy Spirit was going to be, what His manifestation would be, and how that would operate, you can understand why it's so vital to be empowered by that Holy Spirit to do disciple-making. But right now, 
what I'd like to do is just take a few short seconds and very humbly ask God to fill us. Let's put this into action. Let's not wait till tomorrow. Let's not wait till your devotions or your crawling to bed tonight, till your ride home. It's a very simple thing. Let's just do it right now. I would ask you right now to quiet your heart before the Lord and that you humbly ask Him to fill you, to fill you fresh and new with the Spirit. Using the same language, but in your own language, that the early church did. Lord, we come to you, I come to you, asking you to fill me with your spirit fresh and new. I thank you that you've already put that down payment, that deposit. But Lord, I ask for a fresh and new filling. I ask for a fresh and new filling to each and every person that's listening. Or for the person who just gave their heart to you today, that you would just pour your spirit in full to overflowing. Lord, we recognize that you've called us that you've equipped us to do what, Lord? To do the work of your ministry, to do the work in your kingdom, to introduce people to Jesus, to work with them, to grow in what it means to be a disciple, a, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would enable us by the power of your Spirit to get past ourselves, to be able to speak boldly and to speak the truth boldly in a way that people will understand. To tell them about Jesus. Lord, I pray that You'd use us, supernaturally speaking, whether it would take us, Lord, to be able to speak in a foreign language we don't know, or, Lord, if it's just simply to be able to use phraseology, Lord, that Your Spirit would enable us to use phraseology that cuts right to a person's heart because it's the way they think in their mind. Or it's a question that they've been asking in their mind. Lord, enable us to be able to speak those truths boldly so that people will declare the same thing that occurred in the stories you read today where we heard in our head them speaking in our native tongue. And Lord, there's a lot of that. Native tongue as far as actual physical language, Lord, but also, Lord, I know you've done that for me at times where somebody was enabled to speak about your truth and the language they use our language I use privately with you that nobody else knows about. Lord, enable us to do that. Lord, I pray that that would grab people's attention. Lord, we also pray in the name of Jesus that you would stretch out your hand and you would do miracles and signs and wonders, not for entertainment factor ever, but as a show of your power so people will know that there is a God in heaven and His Son is Jesus Christ. And they know that this following of Jesus and becoming a disciple actually has effect and has power to break strongholds and to do things that we're incapable of doing on our own. Lord, we pray that you would do all of these things not so that we will look good or that we will be recognized, but for your glory. That people will know that there's a God in heaven that people will know that the God that we serve is real and powerful and wants to be a part of their life. We just pray that you would do those things there, Lord. Help us to ever be pointing people to you and stepping out of the way so that they can interact with you. Lord, I pray that you would build faith in us this morning. Build faith in us that when we ask, believing and expecting that you're going to answer, Lord, I pray that each one of us as we go about our business today and tomorrow and throughout this week going forward that we would start those days asking for these things and then we would go about our day looking for those opportunities, those appointments that you have for us. 
And Lord, again, that we would each trust instead of worrying about what we would do if one came up, we would trust and believe that in the moment you will enable us to speak like Peter did and like others did to be able to clearly explain to people what they need to know and that the words would come from your spirit, not necessarily from our own brains. We just ask that you would do these things all for your glory so that people will come to know you and be spared eternity in hell. We just thank you, Lord, for being a God who cares and loves and has chosen to use people like us. Pray that we would all rely on the empowerment and the equipping that you've given us through the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.